remember a time in your life when you didn't think about what you ate? Like you just ate? For most of us, this was probably when we were kids. We ate broccoli and ice cream with equal aplomb. Well, okay, maybe not broccoli, but you do get the idea. Food was just food. We ate what tasted good to us. We ate when we were hungry. We ate enough to feel full. Wouldn't it be nice to get back there? To like make food actually feel good? Buckle up, friends. This episode is going to be a juicy one on the All Sorts podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Nielsen, registered dietitian, cookbook author, and resident food nerd here at the pod. And today we are talking to one of my dearest friends, dietitian Lindsay Pluscott, about how to reclaim your relationship to eating and make food feel good. It's non-diet January around here, and I've got to say these conversations around reclaiming wellness as a practice that actually helps us take care of ourselves have gotten me really excited to do what we're doing here. Lindsay is a registered dietitian, also in the process of becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor, a speaker, and writer on a mission to make food feel good, body, mind, and soul. Using a blend of science-based nutrition with mindful and intuitive eating practices, she helps her community nourish their cells from the inside out while finding a peaceful relationship with food and their bodies. Lindsay believes that food has the ability to connect us more deeply to ourselves, our community, and the world around us. Today, we cover everything from what intuitive eating actually is and what it is not, to what intense food cravings are probably telling you, because it's not what you think. We examine why unrestricted eating is not the same thing as eating burgers and fries 24-7, and how Lindsay's own food journey brought her to where she is today. For those of you who struggle with your relationship with food or with your body, Today's episode might dredge up some heavy feelings, so do make sure you have a trusted friend or health professional to talk to if it feels like a lot. Remember, you deserve to feel good. You deserve to enjoy your body and to enjoy what you eat. Ready? Let's dive in. But first, a quick word from our amazing sponsor. I have tried a lot of supplements over the years, and if there are two things I crave, it's simplicity and quality. So I'm so excited to have Aura Inner Beauty as this episode's sponsor. Aura Inner Beauty creates premium inner beauty products that nourish your body from within, like my current fave, Inner Focus, with organic lion's mane mushroom and standardized ashwagandha extract, my adaptogenic rider dye. Aura's founder, Avalon Lukacs, creates potent blends and takes sourcing very seriously. Curious? Head to AuraInnerBeauty.com because they've generously offered All Sorts listeners 15% off with the code ALLSORTS15 until March 1st, 2022. Okay, I'm so seriously excited to talk to you. <laughs> I worry that I'm going to have trouble staying on track because I <laughs> do think doing interviews with your friends is more difficult than with people you don't know as well. But I'm really excited to talk to you about this because it's non-diet January here yes. on the All Sorts Pod. And to me, I just love the way that you talk about food and relationship and how it comes from this place of like pleasure and joy and, you know, being able to take care of yourself and realize that you deserve to feel good. Like, I just, I like all of these things. Oh, thank you. That means so much coming from you. But yeah, that really is like the message that I want to get out into the world is like, 
we can enjoy food. There's room for pleasure and satisfaction. Like it's, yeah, I'm a dietitian, but it's not just about fuel and nutrition. In fact, that's like actually quite a small part of it. (laughs) It's funny because I think when people think about dietitians or nutrition and like what they think it is versus what it actually is looks really different. And I, because we're dietitians, it's really easy to get wrapped up in like this little bubble of like, well, people already know that. Well, people are already doing that. People already think that. And you're like, oh no, like people need support. People need to have their eyes opened and particularly because eating is so essential to life. People are like, I eat, therefore I know how to eat and like know how to do all these things. Like why do you think since we all eat like three to six times a day, like, why do you think we're so disoriented in our food choices right now? Oh man, I know eating is complex. Exactly. Like you said, it's essential to life. It's something we all do, which also can make it really challenging because if you struggle with food, like there's really no getting away from it. But I mean, honestly, what it comes down to is like diet culture. Like it is just the messaging is so strong and it's so ingrained that it's really difficult to actually, you know, kind of pick it apart. Like, I think it's just become so normalized to listen to outside sources rather than tuning in and listening to our own bodies. And often we've actually lost that ability to even connect with our body and, you know, notice the signals that are going on every day within us that are really you know, giving us again, those intuitive cues of when we're feeling hungry and when we're not just full, but also satisfied. So I think, yeah, I think it's just noise. Like there's just, again, a lot of noise out there, a lot of messaging. And I think, I don't know if you can relate to this. I can definitely relate to this in different ways in my life, but I think we, you know, for many of us, we like that comfort of sort of knowing that we're doing something, you know, quote unquote, right. Being able to like check a box or, you know, follow a list. And it, yeah, it gives us that comfort, especially if we do have a little bit of that complicated relationship with food. There's, yeah, there's that comfort. It's like, okay, you know, I did what often it's even from a doctor, maybe even a dietitian or, you know, a random who knows who out there, everyone loves to talk about food. So I think it's kind of a combination of all of those things. Yeah. You know, as like, I don't know if a lot of people know this. Unfortunately, dietitians tend to be very type A. And so I feel, yeah. and I'm not one of those type A's who now revels in saying that I'm type A and totally. very, very much trying to be a type A in recovery. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> then I want to be like, oh, I did that presentation well. Or mm-hmm. like, oh, I got those likes. Or like, oh, look how tidy my house is. Like you do sort of strive for that virtue signaling. And it's, totally, most of us don't trust our own inner voice to be like, oh no, I am enough. Mm -hmm. I did fine today. Like you need those sort of external cues to be like, oh, okay, I guess I got this right. Yeah. Or we busy ourselves so much, like whether it's physically busying ourselves or with the like thoughts that are constantly bombarding us that we just don't even notice all of those signals. Or like you said, that kind of intuition or that connection to self being like, okay, I'm I'm okay. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. And our, you know, food is so you know, it's not just nutrition and it's not Mm -hmm. just nourishing our bodies. Like it's, it's such a big part of our culture and it's such a big part of like how we've learned to sort of comfort and soothe ourselves. I mean, think about, think about the pandemic, right? Like as soon as it went down in the spring, what were we all doing? Apparently (laughs) drinking 17 cocktails a day and baking all of the things, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sourdough bread and wine. (laughs) I know. And like, it's, you know, we took, comfort in that. Like we, all these Mm. things that actually make us feel really good. You know, as much as I don't wish any of this ever again on any of Mm. us, one of the things that I kind of loved about last spring is that like, even people who were sort of like gluten deniers were all of a sudden baking sourdough. And I was like, oh, okay. We like carbs now. (laughs) I'm happy about this. 
(laughs) (laughs) Totally. And it's so funny too, because I think like even speaking of, you know, finding comfort in food or there's so much discussion around like emotional eating, there's so much guilt associated with that or judgment or shame when really like the goal isn't to eliminate finding comfort in food. It's to find additional and alternative ways, right? So knowing that there's nothing wrong with finding comfort in food. And if that's not what you're eating in that moment, what are other ways that we can kind of build out a a menu and really care for ourselves without kind of denying or suppressing maybe what some of those root causes are. But again, it's kind of, you know, and I know we'll kind of talk more about this, but about just like neutralizing food and not making, not labeling everything and being like, this is good. This is bad. Like emotional eating is this terrible, you know, whatever we want to call it, but anyway, going on a bit of a tangent there, but (laughs) definitely the pandemic, like there was just so much conversation around food. And then as we sort of started to emerge a little bit, like you could just see the diet vultures kind of swooping in on their prey and being like, okay, what are you going to do now? Like after whatever months of pandemic eating. And it's just, it's crazy. Well, that's why I wanted to do this little series in January, because, you know, inevitably for six weeks, we get just like the messages to like indulge, 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 Mm -hmm. like literally shoved down our throats. And then like a switch flips on January 1st. And all of a sudden they're like, repent, repent, repent. Like it's something that, you know, we should somehow feel bad about. It's like, no, it's a feast. Culturally, this is what we do is we feast at this time. And there's no like needing to atone for just having a bloody good time in December. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We deserve it. (laughs) You know, and what you said there too, like, I think there's such a huge difference between consciously seeking comfort in food Mm -hmm. and unconsciously attempting to use food to numb emotions that you don't want to deal with, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing too, like our emotions are there for a reason. Again, that's another whole other area, but often we are sort of taught to like fear those intense feelings and those emotions instead of again, tuning in and noticing like, what is this here to tell me? What do I really need right now? And so like, that's another big part of my practice that I talk about a lot is just mindfulness and mindful eating, but mindfulness in general, I think is such a valuable tool because like the very act of mindfulness is it's awareness without judgment. So it's bringing awareness to your thoughts, to your feelings, but without that judgmental lens and just getting curious about it. And when we can approach our thoughts and our behaviors that way, there's so much less intimidating. There isn't that fear and judgment. Like even when we're judging ourselves, it can be really scary to address these things because it feels so bad. Right. And so when we can, again, bring that mindfulness and just notice what's happening so that we can build out a better self-care plan and, and live our lives more aligned to who we are and feel better. Again, that's the whole goal is feeling better. I think that's, I think that's why we set any goals because we think the result is going to make us happier or help us feel better. And so constantly bring it back to those basics. I think mindfulness is a huge first step in that. And this is probably a really good time to talk about intuitive eating as well, because Mm -hmm. it's become, you know, like vitamin D or omega-3 or like probiotics or the microbiome. It's become one of those like wellnessy terms that gets thrown around a lot and people (laughs) don't fully understand, which I think is why we can now have some garbage called intuitive fasting, which if you know what intuitive (laughs) eating is about, it's like the opposite of that. So can we talk about 
what intuitive eating actually is. Cause you're currently going through to become certified in yeah. intuitive eating, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Intuitive fasting. Like do not even get me started. <laughs> There's nothing intuitive about someone else telling you like when you can and cannot eat just those words do not go together, but yeah. So intuitive eating, I think it's great. There's so much more awareness. People are really curious about it. That being said, like social media can be great and it can be a challenge because kind of only part of the message gets out there or it kind of gets like co-opted. And because it's sort of trendy right now, again, diet culture is kind of <laughs> co-opting that term. Right. But what intuitive eating is, is actually a self-care framework. And it was designed by two dietitians in the eighties, Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Rush. So it's been around for a long time. There's actually over a hundred studies. So it's an evidence-based model and it, it's a 10 step framework. So it actually takes you through kind of the whole experience of, well, I guess the purpose of it is, is to help you like reconnect or attune to the physical sensations in your body, whether that is in response to an emotion, right? So we actually have get physical responses to our emotions or a physical response to your, you know, your food needs to your nourishment needs. And so the whole kind of process is to help bring you back to that by kind of tuning out all of the things that distract us from connecting with our body. So it's really amazing. And honestly, the, it's really cool to see the research too, because you know, obviously there's going to be kickback on it and there's so much evidence of why it works and how it kind of works, you know, as a holistic approach to a true holistic approach to our health and wellness. So yeah, it goes through everything from, you know, making peace with food is a huge part of it, even before getting into nutrition, but learning how to kind of remove the, the morality from food, like food being good or bad, because that's truly the only way to kind of get out of our heads and reconnect with our body. You know, there's a big part of it that is learning how to honor your hunger, how to actually feel full. Cause what I notice a lot with clients and I have definitely been there myself too, is you notice the extreme. So you notice when you're extremely hungry, when your stomach is grumbling, when it's like affecting your mood and everything about your day, but we don't notice those more subtle cues, like thinking about food, right? We're like, Oh, why am I thinking about food? Oh, your body's just telling you that you're starting to get hungry. And the same thing with feeling full. Sometimes there's a fear of feeling fullness, or sometimes it's, again, it's tuned out or numbed out. And so that's a big part of it is, is noticing what are those physical sensations? What are maybe some thoughts that you're having as you're getting to, you know, feel hungry as you start to fill, fill up as you become maybe uncomfortably full. And then also exploring like satisfaction. Like it's not just about hunger and full to start when you're hungry. And when you're full, like what makes you feel satisfied? Yeah. So it talks about that. It's, you know, rejecting the diet mentality. So really looking at where all this diet messaging is coming from, where the food rules are coming from and what it is that, you know, how we can make those decisions for ourselves of what truly feels best in our body. So it's honestly, it's, it's such a beautiful framework. I don't even know how else to explain it, but you know, it's just so cool to see just the freedom and how it trickles into other areas of people's lives when they kind of open up to this model. So I guess that's kind of like in a nutshell, what intuitive eating is, but there's a lot more to it, obviously. <laughs> well, and I love it because it's not, it's funny because it's it's not one thing. And yeah. I think we want to reduce intuitive eating to some sort of like diet or like set of rules, totally. like only eat when you're hungry. And it's interesting because like over the last decade, like I've mm -hmm. had a lot of clients who've said, well, but I don't get hungry. 
Mm-hmm. I'd be like, so, so when does your body tell you you need food? Cause they're like, Oh, how often should I eat? And I was like, well, that really depends. Like some people love eating three square meals a day and feel full mm-hmm. and satisfied. And like some people like to eat six times a day. Like when do you get hungry? And people will say, I don't know. Like I don't get hungry. Like they're right. really disassociated from that feedback. Yeah. And I think that's a thing too, when, especially when people have, you know, dieted or had food rolls for years or like decades, even yeah, you're going to become disconnected from those natural cues because they either don't feel safe, or maybe you're using other like strategies to distract from them. And again, that's kind of like one of the, or a big part of intuitive eating is learning how to like recognize and remove those like distractions or disruptors from connecting with your body cues. And like as a dietitian, you know, because this isn't really an area that like when I was in school, we talked a lot about like, how did you come to doing this work? Like, was there a time in your life where food did not feel good to you? Yes. Yeah. So definitely there was a pretty, you know, significant portion of my life. So like over a decade, I really struggled in my own relationship with food, with a lot of disordered eating. And it really, yeah, it just really impacted every aspect of my life. Like I played a lot of sports growing up. Like I was like, it's like basketball, volleyball, soccer, like played soccer at quite a high level. And I was always you know, active and see, starting to see it like really impact my energy and performance. It was impacting my relationships, like with my family, with my boyfriend, with my friends. Like I didn't want to go out and eat because I didn't know, you know, what there would be, if it would be safe, if I'd feel uncomfortable, if I'd be anxious, like, and I just got to a point where I was like, I, I simply cannot live this way. Like it was just, it was constantly food was constantly on my mind. It was, you know, running my life basically. And it was interesting because I had always been interested in like nutrition and health. And like, I always thought that I would, you know, maybe go into medicine or counseling, which is interesting because that's ended up being mostly, you know, what I'm doing as a dietitian. So it was interesting because I had an interest in that, but the way it had been like, especially nutrition, the way it had been presented to me was, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties, I feel like that was really when diet culture was ramping up like hundred calorie packs and diet, this and sugar-free that, like that really was what we were, what we were taught was healthy. Like, I remember thinking I was making a healthy choice by choosing like a diet Coke or controlling my portions with a hundred calorie packs. So it was that combination of not trusting my body, but also the education we were getting at that time. It just made it really difficult. So I think it was just coming to that point of, of recognizing I can't live like this, being interested in nutrition and sort of being scared to dive into that. Cause I wasn't sure whether it would actually make things worse and I would become more obsessed with food and it would create more food rules, but learning about nutrition in a different way. Like I think going into it with that lens and understanding, okay, I want to know what food can do for you. And I want to understand what is this other side of it? I kind of stumbled into intuitive eating without, I don't think I knew that's what it was at the time, but kind of experimented through it on my own. So it, I mean, it took a long time for me because I didn't really have the guidance or resources, but essentially like, I don't necessarily regret that experience because it really is what drives my passion for what I do now. And it led me to where I am now, but yeah. And yeah, I don't, I, again, I don't wish that upon anyone because it was just torturous. Well, and it's, you know, thank you for sharing that because I think people often think that as dietitians, we like a never eat a French fry or B have never struggled with these kind of right. things before. And you know, somehow we become dietitians because we're, you know, quote unquote, perfect eaters, which A, Mm -hmm. doesn't exist. And B, like most of us come to it 
through some sort of like challenge that sparked awareness. Like most people don't grow up knowing what a dietitian is. Like no. I went into UBC not knowing what a dietitian is. I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I think it comes back, you know, particularly I used to troll hundred calorie snack packs so hard. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, oh my God, I hate these things because they taste like sawdust. I'm like, you're probably going to eat 10 of them. And you could have right. just had a chocolate bar to begin with because you would have enjoyed it more. Exactly. Well, and it's, you know, it's funny because I think one of the biggest or most challenging thing for people to accept in themselves is the idea that like, they're deserving of pleasure and like food mm -hmm. can be pleasurable because it's, mm -hmm. you know, with all this messaging from like hundred calorie snack packs to like, I don't know, fat is bad, carb is bad. Like something is always bad. Mm -hmm. And it becomes really ingrained in our mindset that like, we can't allow ourselves just to enjoy food and feel pleasure in eating. Like that it is pleasure. Yeah. And like, what other opportunity do we have like three to six times a day to like enjoy <laughs> right. life? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that extends into other areas of life too. Like there's almost this guilt around pleasure. Like, I don't know if it's this feeling of like, okay, I'm being indulgent again, what's wrong with that or being lazy, but it's like, if it's, you know, not for pleasure and enjoying your life, enjoying the moment you're in, like truly, what is it all for? Right. So I think, yeah, allowing ourselves. And that does take a lot, like all of this is a practice, right. But understanding and recognizing that absolutely. You deserve to feel pleasure and enjoy pleasure in food. And I think a big part of like even intuitive eating and having a healthy relationship with food is that satisfaction factor, right? That's like one of the big kind of, or one of the, the principles of intuitive eating, which, you know, I, I feel really connects with pleasure. Right. And when you think about like, how often have you had a meal where you're like, okay, I'm full. Right. So if you're just going by like the hunger and fullness, it's like, okay, you know, I eat a big leafy high fiber salad and I'm full, but I'm not satisfied. And you find yourself kind of like just searching for something else and eating a bit of this and a bite of that. And you know, whatever else it might be, like, I call it like eating around what you really want kind of thing. And so it's, that's also a big part of kind of reconnecting and kind of taking that power back around food is allowing yourself to feel satisfied so that you can stop obsessing about and thinking about food all the time and reconnect with those, those cues. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. I've seen, I know the very cynical part of me mm -hmm. is like North American culture is really about making humans productivity units <laughs> yeah. so that like billionaires can get richer, right? Like right. just <laughs> like do all the things we tell you to buy, consume all this kind of stuff. And like, it's not about you to feel pleasure because you have to have a to-do list. And if that right. to-do list isn't done, then make a bigger to-do list. And, you know, I think that so much of this comes down in our society of, like allowing external cues or external voices to sort of measure our worth. Mm -hmm. And particularly for people socialized as women, like in terms of our looks yeah, and like the perceived purity or righteousness mm -hmm. of our choices, like how do we begin to dissociate from that when it's like, we're literally swimming in it? Yeah. Yeah. You nailed that on the head. And I think again, like this is where like mindfulness is really huge in this process is it really is the first step because we can't change what we're not aware of. Right. And so mindfulness allows us to bring awareness to our thoughts, to our habits again, without that judgment. So just noticing like, what are these thoughts even, what are the food rules? What are the thoughts that are like circulating in our head all day long that are often subconscious and driving our behaviors and driving how we feel. And we don't even even 
realize it again, because it is so ingrained. And like you said, we're swimming in it, right? So it's bringing awareness to it. And then a lot of it really is just kind of neutralizing our language around food, neutralizing the morality around food. So again, a lot of that language, it's like good, bad, clean. Like how do we, why do we describe food as clean? But all of that language that we don't even really realize is sort of judgmental or is reinforcing that message. And so one of the things that I often work on with clients is just like, first of all, noticing. So I find that like doing a food journal is really helpful, which I always have to say, like, this is very different from food tracking. This is not my fitness pal. It's not tracking your calories being like, again, you check the box, you have the right portion, but it might be noticing what you're eating and how you feel when you eat certain foods and how you feel when you eat at a certain frequency, but also important to take note of how do you feel such a huge component? How do you, how did you feel before you ate? How did you feel after you ate? What were those things that kind of contributed? And then also notice that language, right? So rather than saying like, I was good today or that food was good. It's just like looking at food for what it is like a carb is a carb or like a piece of bread is just a piece of bread and it provides you with energy and, you know, fiber and B vitamins and all of those good things. So it's yeah, becoming aware of the language, becoming aware of the thoughts, becoming aware of the food rules, sort of approaching them with curiosity and experimentation and kind of working through those steps there as you, yeah, as you just sort of make, make peace with your relationship with food. And it takes a lot of trust. Oh yeah. Like it's, oh yeah. Like, I think that we build these frameworks for ourselves because otherwise we're just all floating out here in like the chaotic (laughs) ether. It's like, what is, what is life? What am I doing? (laughs) Like, you know, and it's, it's so hard. I mean, because you're also a parent and I remember, I mean, first kid versus second kid rules. Oh my gosh. (laughs) If my youngest is not bleeding, I'm like, you're fine. Yeah, you're doing great. Like my first, I was so conscious and I was like, you know, we don't call foods a treat. And like with my Mm -hmm. gosh, with my parents and my like in-laws, I was like, no, we don't call chocolate a treat. It's chocolate. Like I worked so hard for, I don't know, like two and a half years until I was like, you know, even the books I'm reading to them Mm -hmm. are so coded in language. Like I can't believe how many kids books, like, I mean, oh yeah, just the language of judgment Mm -hmm. is everywhere. And so it does it does take a lot of strength and it takes a lot of trust because as soon as you're like divesting from that, you're like, oh, I'm not following their rules. Right. How do I know I'm okay? And it comes yeah. that, back to that, like tuning in and like listening to your own like intuition as opposed to everything. Yeah. It's just so hard. It is. It's so hard. Yeah. And yeah, exactly that, that trust. And it's a, it is a practice. And I think What's cool about it is again, when you can look at, like, look at things as an experiment, this is like what I often encourage people to do. It's not like, this is how you're going to do it forever for here on out. You can never go back to what you're doing, but what about being curious? What about trying this out and seeing how it feels? And what I often see is that through that experience, they're able to build muscle memory. And that's exactly how the trust is built. Like it's really scary, but when you have that support or you have that community that's on board with you, it's like, okay, I can do this. I've got the courage. You, you, you're able to try it out and then see that, okay, you know, nothing bad happened. I'm still okay. Actually, I feel a lot better. And then you build that muscle memory to try it again the next time. And it feels even better. Right. So it really is about that trust, but I always love to, cause like there's the you know, the intuition side of it, which can feel really like woo woo. And I know you and I are both all about that, (laughs) but it's that combination. Like I just, you know, I feel like 
intuitive eating is really that combination of combining or tapping into both that inner wisdom and knowledge, which is what feels right to you, trusting yourself with the outer wisdom or outer knowledge of nutrition. Like you can still apply nutrition. That's still a part of it, but it's combining the two to make a decision like, okay, this is how I'm feeling right now. You know, do I want to apply some nutrition? What would feel good to me? How can I kind of bring all of these things together? But really even the intuitive or intuition part there's also a lot of like science behind it, right? Like when we're feeling hungry and trusting that we're hungry, there's chemical reactions going on. Our body's releasing, you know, ghrelin, our hunger hormone. And so it's not just this kind of out there random, you know, thing that we're kind of pulling from. It's also our body guiding us from both a like physiological standpoint and from that you know, inner wisdom part of it that I, that I also believe is we can't always explain energetics, but it's there. And, you know, there is that kind of other part that guides us. Yeah. And it, you know, it comes back to sort of these like basics of science. Like Mm -hmm. we would not have survived as humans if our body couldn't tell us we needed food. Exactly. Like we literally just been been like dozing on the Savannah the whole time. Just being (laughs) like, the sun is amazing. Why would I bother (laughs) like risking, (laughs) risking my life to get a meal? Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's, Yeah, it's exactly that. And like, even when you think of babies, right, they it's, I always just find it so beautiful to have that example and having experienced that with Wilder, like babies are, we're all born intuitive eaters. Like, what do you do when you're hungry? You cry, you're fussy. You're like, babies will let you know at as much as when they're starting to fill up, like they turn their heads, they spit the food, they throw it at the wall. Right. And we just become so disconnected from that over years of, again, messaging and rules and diets, but our natural state is really to come back to that. And our body is truly the best guide. Like we are the expert of our own bodies and it it doesn't always feel that way. Again, when there has been that, that wedge and that gap for years and years and years, but truly there's no one that will ever know what's best for you better than yourself. And, you know, speaking of sort of like building that trust as a muscle, one of the sort of pushbacks that I'm seeing a lot, particularly mm-hmm. on social media, because ain't it a cesspool? <laughs> like, you know, Special. someone will come up with like, a, you know, a food freedom or like a non-diet mm-hmm. message or like mm-hmm. a neutral foods message. And, be like, and then the commenter will say something like, yeah, but eating burgers and fries all day isn't mm-hmm. healthy. Like, don't you care about people's health? Like, how, what does it mean to eat healthfully to allow all foods a place in your life, but also Mm -hmm. still know that, well, you need some vitamin C so you don't get scurvy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's always just like such extremes. Hey, it's, it's so funny, but I mean, having a non-diet approach or intuitive eating, it's not anti-health or anti-nutrition. It's just, again, neutralizing and removing that morality and having the ability to choose. And I think one of the things, like I I do feel like with intuitive eating or food freedom, often what is like portrayed in the media is like the pizza and the burgers and the donuts. Cause that's like, what's sexy. And people are so deprived that they're like, Oh my gosh, I can eat a donut. Like show me more. And that is a part of it, right? Like that definitely is a part of it that yes, you can eat these foods when you, and when you want to. But I think, you know, what I see happening a lot is you know, when we give ourselves permission, that's not all you're going to want to eat all the time, because it's also about what feels good, right? Like, would it feel good to only eat donuts all day or only eat 
pizza all day, it probably wouldn't feel good. And I think in the beginning, when you are just starting to explore this and allow yourself permission to eat these foods, it can feel like that's all you want to eat because it's, you've, you've been restricted for so long. Right. And that is the very thing that drives our cravings or feeling out of control. It's like when we're restricted either physically or psychologically. So in the beginning, it may feel like that, but there's actually something called like food habituation where, and actually Evelyn Tripoli, like she's one of the, one of the creators of intuitive eating. I love, she had this explanation and I just was like, okay, that's so bang on. But she was talking about comparing it to like, when you are falling in love with someone. Right. And it's like the first time you hear them say they love you. It's like butterflies. You can't get enough. Like you, and you cannot spend too much time with them. Right. But as the years go on, like, even though you still love this person, like it doesn't have quite that same like excitement or, you know, that compulsive need to be around them all the time. Like it still feels good to hear. I love you, but it's not like, oh my gosh, like I need this all day, every day kind of thing. Right. And it's like the same thing with food. Like the first time you allow yourself to eat it, it's like, you know, fireworks. And this is crazy. I can't believe I'm allowed to do this. This is this. It might feel like that's all you want, but over time, as there is that true unconditional permission. Yeah. It's the goal. Isn't to be like, okay, I'm going to habituate so much that I never want to donate again. Like that's not the point of it. It's to get to the point where, you know, when you want it, when it feels good, when you're going to enjoy it. And when a salad is going to feel good and energize you. And, you know, so it's, it's again, bringing all of that together. And again, nutrition is a big part of it, but it's exploring it once you kind of have that food neutrality so that it doesn't become more food rules for you to follow. Or again, you know, perpetuating more of that like guilt and shame cycle. And I love that you said that because I think like, especially as dietitians, we field a lot of questions about intense food cravings Mm -hmm. or preoccupation with food. And, you know, it's the classic jam, like, like how do I bust my food cravings? Totally. Really the immediate response is stop restricting food. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, because for so many of us, we're just so constantly restricted Mm -hmm that it does sort of lead to these questions. And I, you know, in my own life, I experienced that too. I mean, in your twenties, unfortunately, it's de rigueur that like you're constantly sort of weight observant and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, diet conscious. And I remember when I was like, forget this. And I did, I'm like, I had to eat like a gazillion slices of pizza Mm -hmm. before I was like, oh, it's just pizza. Yeah, totally. Some days I want pizza and some days I want a kale salad. Right. Like think of if you like have a party and you order 10 pizzas and there's pizza left over all week, like by the end of the week, you're like, I do not want to touch this. This is not appealing at all. Right. And so it is, is just kind of the nature of, and like, it's like psychology 101, like we want what we can't have. So the more restricted you feel, the more you're going to think about and obsess about it. And you, yeah, again, you nailed it on the head with the like restriction piece. Like even with a lot of these studies around like, you know, quote unquote food addiction, when you look at the research, it's like, okay, so the, you know, there's a study with rats. That's like kind of a a really famous or well-referenced study when exploring food addiction. And like in that study, the rats were restricted from food, right? They were deprived from food. A lot of the research, that's what you'll see is it's like either people that have history of disordered eating where they're feeling restricted or deprived, or in some of the animal studies, they're restricted or deprived. And so that is our body is that's our body doing our job. When we are physically restricted, it's going to send us more and more stronger and stronger signals until we eat. Right. So we're feeling like, oh my gosh, my cravings are so intense. I'm so out of control around food. But what you'll notice when you just eat regularly and nourish yourself adequately is 
the cravings don't have that intensity. I think sometimes where you may still experience it is like, if there's that mental restriction, it has that same effect. Again, we want what we can't have. So if we think we shouldn't eat something, if we have guilt associated with it, it's going to have that same effect. So it's really that combination of nourishing yourself adequately and then exploring those foods and giving yourself permission to really see that like, there's no food addiction there. It's just eating enough, giving your body what it needs and removing that psychological, you know, (laughs) torture, the guilt and the shame around that food. And it's, it's crazy, the transformation when you kind of pair those two things together. Yeah. And I, you know, I love having these conversations and most people think of dietitians as being like the food police, which is obviously, I mean, if you knew me and Lindsay, it was very (laughs) not true. We just took down like a very lovely six course tasting <laughs> I could barely days ago. move when I got home. I was like, I definitely ate way past the point of fullness or comfort, but I'm okay with it because it was an amazing night. <laughs> it was a special occasion. But so we're definitely not the food police, but I think because, you know, so much of like classic nutrition has always been focused on like macronutrients mm-hmm. and like yeah. calories and this is healthy, this is not healthy. But I'm just wondering, because you've already gone so far, you know, towards the better future, like how do you think dietitians <laughs> who are maybe just becoming aware of their language and how it might be triggering or, you know, potentially restrictive to others. Like how can we as dietitians evolve the way we teach to create a more positive and less judgmental space? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, it's the same thing as anyone else. It's like being curious and reflecting on the way that we, that we speak about food. I think it's also educating ourselves. Like I think, I mean, intuitive eating, I feel like whether it's fully, you know, going through it all and being certified or even just like reading up on it or educating a little bit and even like Hayes health at every size, really understanding, you know, I think, cause I think with a non-diet approach, like really what it encompasses is coming back to just not making the focus about shrinking your body, losing weight, like that, not being the end goal. It's, it's looking at behaviors and looking at how we want to feel and, what we see even from research, right. Is that there's a greater impact on those behaviors on not stressing ourselves out about our food decisions on our overall health than actually manipulating our weight. Right. So I think it is just, yeah. And I think, I think both of those things, haze, health at every size, um, intuitive eating, educating ourselves on that, even just broadening our horizons of who we learn from, I think is really important. Yeah. And to, you know, definitely in, in nutrition, we have a little bit of a diversity issue, Yes, like body Mm -hmm. size, culture, race, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of sameness. And Mm -hmm. I think in our, in our profession, and I'm looking forward to it changing too, because yeah, how can we, how can we expand our worldview? How can we expand our mindset? How can we Mm -hmm. incorporate different voices and different you know, ways of being and ways of knowing if it's always like the same type of people. Totally. And that's kind of our job too, right. Is to like think outside the box or follow different people or seek out different people, because we tend to follow and surround ourselves with people that think the same as we do. Right. And so it kind of reinforces the same message that we, that we already believe in that we're already getting. So even if you don't necessarily agree, or maybe someone that is like, Oh, this like intuitive eating, or it's like anti-health or, you know, maybe explore that and be open to learning about it and open to other perspectives, because again, we can, it, it can be so easy to just continue finding proof of what we already believe in. 
Yeah. Okay. I want to talk a little bit because you have a really awesome program happening. If you are listening to this podcast in real time, it's this week that the doors are open on Make Food Feel Good. So can you tell everybody who's listening a little bit? I mean, everything we've talked about is really (laughs) what this whole thing is about, but what is the Make Food Feel Good program? Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. So our January program is applications are open this week. It is an eight week, like mindful eating and nutrition program, really based on a lot of the foundations of mindful and intuitive eating that takes our members through kind of that whole experience of, again, that mindfulness tuning in sort of unhooking from diet rules, food rules, learning about, you know, where our beliefs around food came from, reconnecting with our hunger and fullness, addressing those cravings and all of the different reasons they happen. And then also diving into, like, I call it feel good nutrition or intuitive eating. It's referred to as kind of like gentle nutrition. That is a part of it, but we address sort of the the mental psychological piece first so that we're ready to dive into the nutrition. It feels fun and exciting. And again, not more rules to follow. So yeah, so it's a group coaching program. It's eight weeks long. We, again, we go through, there's lessons on all of those things. And then there's live coaching calls every week. There is a community. So you'll have access to me daily in the community, as well as uh, Ali. She's another dietitian that works on my team. So it's, it's just honestly such a supportive, supportive, inspiring community. Like that's probably my favorite part about it is just bringing people together. And I think one of the things I see from it often is just, you know, the very act of being open about it and talking about it in a community and feeling supported, it takes that kind of immediately takes that guilt and shame away because you see that, okay, there's nothing wrong with me for struggling with these things. You know, many people struggle with them in whatever way that is for them. And how can we learn from each other? How can we encourage each other? And yeah, just bring the joy and freedom and confidence back into eating. Well, and I love that you do this because I'm sure a lot of people will listen to this podcast and be like, this is so hard. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. And it's like, well, actually ding, ding, ding. Like there's people, (laughs) there are people to support you. And then, you know, this is our work. Like we need the same way that we go to a physiotherapist to heal from an injury. Like essentially this is like a mindset injury inflicted on us by society. And we need that support because even like knowing what I know, and I'm sure knowing what, you know, like every once in a while, it'll be a Tuesday at 2 PM. And like this thought will pop into your head and you're like, Ooh, no, no, no. Yeah, we, where did that come from? I thought yeah. I got rid of that one. <laughs> yeah, it's like I thought I said goodbye to that one. And so yeah. we do, we need support to help us, yeah, sounding board that's not some like influencer, you yeah. know, inevitably filling our head with more sort of nonsense. And it's interesting too, because I find that often like dietitians are the last person that people come to. Like often my clients are like, I see a physio and a chiro and a therapist and a this and a that. And like, you know, but it's like often people don't think to like come to a dietitian or maybe don't know, maybe it's thought of again, like you said, the food police is just about nutrition, not this whole piece of supporting that relationship with food. So yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's such an honor to be able to guide people through this process. Such an honor to know you. I'm so glad I asked you out to Washington, D.C. You all those years back. Date. <laughs> it was love at first date. <laughs> oh, for anyone listening, so I, I don't know. I, I'm a very much an introvert, which is probably why I like a podcast because I can sit behind <laughs> a microphone and like not have like a whole room of folks in front of me. But I don't know why. I was just like, I like this Lindsay person. And maybe she'd like to go to a conference. I'm just going to ask her. And then we'll like share a hotel room, even though we don't really know each other. And uh, so intimate for a first date. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, we got like 
you know, like 15 dates out of the way by like going to this conference in Washington, DC. And then our friendship was cemented forever. It was, I truly feel like that was meant to be. Cause you've said that, that like, you're like, I don't know what it was. It was like this nudge. And same thing for me, I was going through a difficult time that year. And I was like, I don't know, like if I'm going to go to this conference or how it's going to be or whatever. And same thing with me. I was like, I'm just going to go. I don't know Desiree. I'm going to go. It's going to be amazing. And it honestly was like, I feel like we laughed, we cried. We just like instantly connected. And honestly, from there on our, yeah, it was the rest is history. <laughs> I shared with you my love of Japanese reality shows. You and- <laughs> did. You did. I, I still have to admit I have not dove into those yet, but <laughs> maybe someday, maybe the, over the holidays. <laughs> I'll make a Terrace House believer out of you after all. <laughs> <laughs> I do love some good reality TV, so I'm open to it. <laughs> okay. It is rapid fire time. So like I do every episode, we close with a few rapid fire questions, which the guest has no idea about. They're real Nervous. softball. So <laughs> no, nothing to be nervous about. Okay. First one is dream travel destination. Oh, oh my gosh. I love traveling so much. What is my dream destination? Well, one of my dream destinations was Greece that we, we did that on our honeymoon. And that was just, that was beautiful right now. Actually, probably Italy. I've always wanted to go to Italy. I've never been, I love food. I love wine. And I mean, obviously I want to explore too, but I just think it would be that that's probably one of the top of my list. And then actually also Bali. Those are like two very different ones, but I've explored a lot of like Asia, Southeast Asia, but I've never been to Bali. And I just, Oh, it looks so beautiful. What about you? Can I ask? Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's funny. I went to Bali when I was 17. So I have no idea what the like, Mm -hmm. you know, global boho rich wellness Bali looks like now, but I went when I was 17 and it is gorgeous. My dream destination, I'm struggling between going places I want to return to Mm -hmm. and going somewhere new. So one of my dreams is to take a month and like rent various Airbnbs and also a camper van and do New Zealand with my family because I haven't been there since my 20s. So I would love to go there. I would also like to do the same thing. I would like to go for a month to Portugal, like, and really like, I've I've never done that. Like Portugal's amazing. Don't take enough vacations. And so like to actually like take a month Mm -hmm. and go somewhere else. I think that's more than the place. It's like, I want to take a whole month. Like, yes. Okay. I'm holding holding you to this. You book this (laughs) by the end of 2022. Okay. And then I'll come back on and we'll make sure I'll be your coach and make sure you stay accountable. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Also, let's do a retreat in one of those places. I'm just going to put that out there. Oh yes. I also have plans (laughs) for that. Okay. One thing that folks think is healthy, but it's actually diet culture. Ooh, I think like often when it comes to healthy versus unhealthy, it's not so much about the food. It's about the thought process and the, the feeling and the relationship. So even when I try to avoid kind of labeling like things as healthy or unhealthy, but I think, I think, yeah, I mean, focusing too much on the nutrition or the health or like letting that guide your decisions. And again, not allowing that pleasure. Like a lot of the things that we talked about today, we know that even from like a health standpoint, that stressing about that food, over-focusing on those things, not allowing variety and pleasure can have more of a significant impact on our health than than, you know, foods that we're so fearful of. So I would say the food rules, having foods off the table, cutting out any food groups, potentially thinking that you're being healthy is actually 
unhealthy. <laughs> Does that even make sense? <laughs> that makes perfect. <laughs> it makes perfect sense to me. I am with you all the way on. All that. right, listeners, you got to let us know. Did that make sense? <laughs> okay, <laughs> we can do a whole other podcast and go into that deeper okay. if need be. We're definitely going to be having Lindsay back. Okay, favorite candy. Ooh, favorite candy. Okay. I love sour, like anything sour. So I actually really like, you know, like sour keys. There's these little candies that are basically little pieces of sour keys. And I love those. There are candies that are pieces of sour keys. Yeah. Like they're like these little pieces. So kind of like a little like gummy, but it's the exact same thing as a sour key. And like, I remember in pregnancy, I was obsessed with them. Like, I mean, I love them all the time, but yeah, sour is definitely my jam. Sour is my jam too. A hundred percent best nutrition book folks should read if they're going to read a nutrition book at all. Is there one that's like good enough out there that you think people should read it? I mean, I think someone that I know named Desiree Nielsen is coming out with a new book that is supposed to be amazing. So (laughs) I'll put that one out there, but there's a lot of really great sort of anti-diet books as well. So the intuitive eating book by Evelyn and Elise anti-diet by Christy Harrison is another good one. I know there's so many more and I just like cannot think of them right now, but that's kind of like where my focus is. Cause I think it is so important to just address and be aware of, of that side of things before specifically diving into food itself. But I also think a book that would address both would be really great. <laughs> Maybe you should write that book. 2022 might be the year. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Last one. You have 20 minutes to yourself. What do you do with it? You can't do something for someone else. This is like the rule is it's for yourself. Oh my gosh. This has changed so much since having a kid for sure. Oh man. It really depends on the day. So sometimes it might just be like having time to myself. And like, if I'm kind of, well, Oh man, this is a, these are hard questions, but it could be something like meditating. Like, especially if I'm kind of like feeling stressed or I try to like be preventative with that and do it regularly anyway, but obviously that ebbs and flows, but it could be something like that getting outside. If it's only 20 minutes, even getting outside for a walk in the sun again, it could be like just flicking on a mind numbing reality show if that's what I'm in the mood for. So I don't know. It could be any of those things. Those are good. Those are three good things. What is yours? I need to know yours for this one. Yeah. So my knee jerk reaction is a bath, but like, I pretty much already do that. Like I've become so emotionally attached to my bath, like in the evening after like a bath, like every night, don't you pretty much every night, except in the hottest months. Like it has to be like July and August for Mm -hmm. me not to have a bath. Interesting. Yeah. But that's a good, that is a real good, like instant. You can get in there, lights and candles. You could read in there. You could just zone out. Yeah. And it's, and it is that it's, it's amazing to watch like how you can habituate yourself to anything because as Mm -hmm. soon as I get in the bath, it's like a, like literally like washing the day off. That's amazing. Yeah. Like my brain goes, Oh, all of that hard stuff is done now. Mm -hmm. Now you can relax. Yeah. Yeah. What a great ritual. I love that. I love it. I feel really like, okay. So talking about like making things neutral, mm-hmm. I'm like, I take a bath every night. I'm like, that's a lot of water and I feel bad for the planet. Oh. But then I'm also like, well, I eat plant-based and I use right. less water. So there's my, there's my, gotta have something. Yeah. You gotta have something. <laughs> We're all doing the best. Your bath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you so much, Lindsay. I know. I love so, you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so great to chat with you. Yeah. I'm so happy to share all of this with the world. Like I said, this will not be the first time we talk together on this podcast. Yay. <laughs> You know, one of the things that really pisses me off about wellness right now is how we are still letting other people tell us what is good for us. 
when the whole point of wellness is to make ourselves feel good. You get to decide what works for you and what doesn't. And when you seek support from a trusted health professional, you need to ensure that their advice works for you and not the other way around. I love the work that Lindsay is doing to help guide people towards food freedom. And if you're curious about her Make Food Feel Good program, the doors actually close this week. So go check it out via the link in the show notes below. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All Sorts Podcast, which is produced by myself and Tracy Ramsey and edited by Brian McCalman. And we live and work on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, Stolo, and tsleil peoples. 